It's gonna be scary. Not for us. All engine running. Lift off. on Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three. He got it. Say my first rodeo. To the basket, turns Schroeder around. Russell Westbrook house the three and the lead. You betcha. Covington biggest shot of the game and he hits it. The corner, PJ Tucker. Time to you know, accomplish something together that we haven't accomplished before. We both understand that we have one common goal, and that's to win a championship. So <laughs> let's get it. It is Rockets game day with game seven, the entire series, the entire season on the line in this one as the Rockets prepare to take on Oklahoma City Thunder in game seven of this first round Western Conference series. What's up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and the founder slash managing editor of ClutchCityControlRoom.com, your home for all things Houston hoops. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show at Locked on Rockets, and also the blog at ClutchCityCR. So what do we know going into this Game 7? There, there's... We have become intimately familiar with this Thunder team over the course of the last six games. So what all do we know about this Game 7 matchup? And what areas do the Rockets need to improve? What do they need to potentially change in Game 7? And we're just going to work through some of those. We'll talk about the turnovers. We'll talk about Robert Covington's one-on-one defense. We'll talk about offensively. We'll talk about rotations. We'll talk about everything. And we'll we'll try we'll try and make sure that we don't run out of time and, and hit on all these different topics. So first things first, get this announcement out of the way right at the top. None other than Scott Foster himself will be the referee for Rockets Game Seven against the Thunder. You knew it was coming as soon as Scott Foster wasn't on the referee assignment for either of the games on Tuesday. I I felt it. I, I just had this terrible feeling in my gut that Scott Foster was going to be the referee. And here's the thing is the Rockets have lost their last seven playoff games officiated by Scott Foster, but Chris Paul has lost his last nine playoff games officiated by Scott Foster. So I mentioned this. I mentioned that this could be an element that plays into this game. If Scott Foster became one of the officials, which he is, he is the lead official for for this Game 7 crew. If he was there, I wondered... Maybe his hate for Chris Paul outweighs his disdain for the Houston Rockets. That is a distinct possibility. Now, something has to give. Somebody's one of those two records will be broken. And I'd like to point out that while Chris Paul was on the Rockets, those two things coalesced. Those two things became one. And so that made the hate, the, the, disdain by Scott Foster for the Houston Rockets even stronger. Now that Chris Paul is not on the Rockets, we'll see how things play out. So of the things that we know about, let's start defensively, and we'll talk Robert Covington first. And I I, I pointed out that he had a really solid, really great all-around game six, and the issue that people you know took with that is, yeah, he got burned by Chris Paul down the line. But here's the thing, is... He is, Robert Covington is an elite defender guarding 
twos, threes, and fours. Against fives, it kind of depends, and it just doesn't seem like he's got the lateral quickness to keep up with Dennis Schroeder, Chris Paul, you know, SGA a little bit. You know, it's the, basically the trio of Oklahoma City guards. And that's not that's that's not a horrible thing for what for everything that he provides you defensively and for the way that his shot has returned offensively, he is crucial to have out there. That being said, it's similar. Basically, the way that the team has to operate surrounding that, if if OKC continues to target him and pull him on, you know, get him on switches and try to attack him directly, then he needs to be able to know that there's help side defense behind him. And going back, I rewatched the plays, you know, rewatched the two late game three pointers by Chris Paul. The very first one, Robert Covington wasn't nearly as close up on Chris Paul. Basically, he was sagging off of Chris Paul and Chris just kind of did that walk it up. You know, he backs up the ball past the three point line, acts like he's getting, you know, getting ahead of steam to go downhill. And then he stops and pops right at the three point line. That was the first three pointer. The second three pointer. Chris Paul was basically Robert Covington was right in Chris Paul's face, but got a really good crossover and got Chris and got Robert Covington kind of stumbling back towards the basket and then was able to pull away and get it just enough space for that three pointer. So moving forward, I think that in this game seven, Robert Covington needs to just stick on Chris Paul on the perimeter or SGA or Schroeder, whoever it is, and needs to believe and trust in his teammates to rotate over behind him to stop any potential drives. Because you cannot let Chris Paul rain three-pointers over you in in this game seven. Because basically anything under five minutes, just assume that Chris Paul is going to hit the shot. Anything under five minutes. But one other element of Robert Covington being put on ball on, you know, Paul, Schroeder, whoever, is it actually takes him away from what he's so good at, which is his his help defense. That's where Robert Covington thrives. His rotations are always on point. He's able to swing over and contest shots at the rim or, you know, getting, getting in passing lanes, all these different things that he does when he's not the on-ball defender, it takes him away from that. So this is a two-part plan by the Thunder to get Robert Covington on the ball where he struggles a little bit guarding those twitchy, fast Oklahoma City guards, but then also removing one of the best Rockets defenders, the best Rockets defender when it comes to his off-ball presence, his rotations, his weak side help, all of that. And so this is a a really tremendous game plan, either by Billy D or just by Chris Paul himself, to target Robert Covington. And knowing the Rockets, knowing their switching defense, that's not going to change. Robert's going to continue to have to guard those players one-on-one if he's out there on the court. Again, it's about the team, though, and, and joining together and having a good team defense and having the rotations in place to stop any of those drives, you know, instead of him having to give up three-point looks to those players. So I wanted to hit on that because there's there's that element, and we're definitely going to see a lot more of that moving in to Game 7. I also, coming up here in just a moment, I want to talk about the fouls. I want to talk about the offense and kind of some of the different things that we've seen over the course of this series and what I'm hopeful that we will see in this Game 7, and we'll get there in just one moment. And we're back here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Discussing the Rockets Thunder upcoming Game 7, just some of the different looks, some of the things that we've seen throughout this series. And let's talk fouls first, so we're going to keep it on the defensive side, and then we'll shift over to the offense here in just a moment. But uh, let's talk fouls. So... 
the Rockets have been really abysmal in the foul department, and it's a two-part thing. It, it is not exclusively the whistle and, and not exclusively the issue with the refs and, and how kind of one-sided that that department has felt throughout the series. It's also they've had some really bad fouls. They've had some, you know, some touch fouls that shouldn't have been committed. They've had some reach-in looks. You know, you just thinking back just the very the very end of game 6, Robert Covington did not need to reach in and foul Chris Paul there at the very end. He had PJ Tucker who rotated over and who was getting ready to contest the shot. And I'd much rather Chris Paul have to take a contested shot where he's midway through the air and hasn't decided what he's doing with the ball yet and kind of has to flip it up towards the rim. I'd much rather that happen than Robert Covington reach in and bail him out with a foul where then Chris Paul goes to ice two free throws at the free throw line. So the fouls, and that that just shows a, a lack of discipline at times by this team. And Thankfully, James Harden has gotten better about it, which was one of my early cries in the series was, you know, as he fouled out early in that overtime frame, I was just begging him to realize that his six fouls are the most important six fouls of anybody else on the team because he needs to not be the one committing them. If it's the early second quarter and and Steven Adams is attempting a dunk, you know, early in the second frame, whatever, let him have it. Don't burn a foul just to stop that from happening that early in the game. And if you get to the, you know, end of the third, beginning of the fourth, and you've only got one or two fouls, then yeah, be a little bit more deliberate with if you choose to stop a fast break or an easy two at the rim, something like that. But James Harden and and also now Russell Westbrook, now that he's back in the action, need to realize that their fouls are much more important than everybody else because their production offensively cannot be replaced. The, the other rotation guys, you know, yes, Robert Covington's important. Yes, Tucker's important, but that's just it. They're rotation guys. Other guys can be plugged in in their place and give roughly the same production. So the fouls have to be better. Especially, it feels like every single game, the Rockets have been in the penalty in some of these quarters really early, you know, picking up one, two, three, four quick fouls, you know, in the in some of these games, and that needs to change. You know, if they want a chance against the Thunder in this Game 7, there's a very distinct possibility that there's another free throw discrepancy. Rockets only got 12 free throw attempts in Game 6, Thunder got 18 free throw attempts. So, that trend very well will continue if the Rockets continue to be undisciplined when it comes to, you know, just keeping their hands at their sides. You'll see a lot of the defenders do a great job of it. You know, Robert Covington, James Harden have been doing a great job out there on the perimeter, keeping their hands to the sides and not reaching, especially when it's Chris Paul. But just in other certain situations, they haven't been that great about not fouling. Let's kind of change up gears, though, and we'll focus offensively here for just a moment. And on the offensive side of things, there were a lot of question marks in game six. And I think even look, even though everybody's going to point to the Russell Westbrook air ball at the end of regulation, the one that, you know, where he held the pose like MJ, he had a pretty solid game just from a shooting standpoint, eight of 15 shooting is pretty solid. And I will take eight of 15 from Russ pretty much on any given night, hit a three pointer. That's just, you know, that's gravy. That's that's a cherry on top of a Russell Westbrook game if he's hitting, you know, one or two threes, even though he shouldn't be attempting them in the first place, but that's besides the point. 17 points from Russ. The issue with Russ was his turnovers, and I'm not totally buying into the fact that it's Russ because he didn't have a single turnover in Game 5. So 
from the offensive side of things, Russ just needs to take, and, and it's it's across the board. It's everybody needs to take better care of the ball because you can go down the line. P.J. Tucker, two turnovers. Covington, one turnover. Westbrook, seven. Eric Gordon, four turnovers. James Harden, five turnovers. Jeff Green, three turnovers. Just way too many turnovers across the board from these guys. But it felt like a lot of the Russell Westbrook turnovers, as I mentioned earlier, were the live ball turnovers. And those are the backbreakers. Those are the ones that really, really hurt you because you're not able to get back in transition. You're not able to get your half-court defense set up. And those are the ones that give the opposing team life, especially as you've taken a commanding, you know, if you're if you're on your own run, if you've taken an eight-point lead, ten-point lead, whatever, and then you start giving up these live ball turnovers, it gets them in transition, it lets them hit their shots, you know, it gives them wide open open threes in transition for Gallinari, for Dennis Schroeder, whoever, and it's painful. It has a chance to give them life and get them back into the game. So I'd like to see Russ. There was a notch difference between how he played in Game 5 and Game 6. It really felt like he was trying to be more aggressive in Game 6, and I think that's what was his undoing, honestly, is looking at Game 5, it felt like he was playing much more within the flow of the offense that he was not trying to force anything, and that felt great. Yeah, he only walked away with seven points, but it didn't feel like he was forcing anything, and it felt like if the opportunities were there, he was going to take them. If they weren't there, he was just letting the flow of the offense take care of itself, and that was important. So I want to see that again from Russ. I want to see some patience from him, and I want to see him not be sloppy with the basketball. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm content with any combination up to eight turnovers from James Harden and Russell Westbrook. With how much they handle the basketball, with how much they're required to do offensively for this team, if their combined turnovers are eight or fewer, that is a great sign for the Rockets. One, because nobody else should be handling the basketball that much outside those two. So the fact that so many other players had turnovers in this game was all also a negative sign. You know, I'm, I'm mainly looking at you, Eric Gordon and Jeff Green. But if they can limit their turnovers to about eight combined, that's going to put the Rockets in a really, really great spot. Now, speaking of Jeff Green, he's a guy that I, I thought, you know, had a really lackluster game six and, you know, hasn't really, it didn't really look like he was the Jeff Green from earlier this series. And I think that's because they're utilizing him differently, unfortunately, now that Russ is back out there. But I don't understand. I don't think we saw a single James Harden, Jeff Green pick and roll. And maybe I'm maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe there were a couple. But definitely none that led to any points of any kind, it feels like. Because, again, Jeff Green just, he had one, you know, one of five three-point shooting. Did snag seven rebounds. But that was it. You know, it really didn't feel like he was being utilized in the way that we saw him used earlier this series to generate some easy offense for the Rockets. And that's something that needs, that's something that, why, why would you shy away from that? Why go away from something that was working so effectively earlier in the series and just completely abandon that strategy? I want to see James Harden and Jeff Green work together on the pick and roll or pick and pop, whatever, in this Game 7 because it was useful earlier in the series. Using Jeff Green as the ball as the ball handler and then having James Harden be the screener and have Jeff kind of either attack the basket or set James Harden up with a switch was phenomenal. It allowed James Harden the chance to attack some defenders that were not Lou Dort. It allowed James Harden the chance to attack a defense that was scrambling, that was focusing on stopping the Jeff Green drive instead. Even just these little dribble handoffs between Harden and Jeff Green have looked great earlier in the series, and it just felt like they moved completely away from that in game six and 
by you know Jeff Green can still be productive out there as a spot up three point shooter, and he's been you know adequate defensively against Stephen Adams and you know the opposing bigs for Oklahoma City, but. It's almost like having Ben McLemore out there and not having Ben McLemore shoot the ball. You know, if you've got Jeff Green out there and you're just relegating him to that spot-up three-point shooter role, it's not utilizing him to the best of his ability. And so I'd like to see them change that up a little bit. Now, coming up here in this final segment, I want to talk rotations. And I did bring up Ben McLemore just now momentarily. And I want to talk about him after a quick word from our friends over at Built Bar. It's time to start looking forward to your protein bars. Rather than having to think it's like a chore that you've got to get through, it's time to start enjoying your protein bars, and you can do that with Built Bar. They've got a bunch of incredible flavors. My personal favorite, the double chocolate mousse. They've got the new flavors that they just came out with, cookies and cream, caramel brownie, carrot cake. I mean, you name it, they've probably got the flavor. They're great for the health-conscious person. They're great if you're just trying to, you know, maybe lose a little bit of weight or just maintain weight, trying to hit your protein goals for the day. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great for a keto diet. And you can check them out. Just go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your very next order. So, again, that's BuiltBar.com, and use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for all things Houston Rockets basketball, preparing for this Rockets Thunder Game 7 and all the stuff that is on the line regarding this series and the the future of this Rockets organization, which I will touch base on a little bit, but I don't want to even think about, I don't even want to think about what would potentially happen after a loss. There's plenty of time to do that later on if necessary, which I don't think we're going to have to do. I'm going to be upfront about that. I'm feeling much more confident heading into this Game 7 than I did in the previous podcast. And I'll explain why. But first, as mentioned, let's talk Ben McMore for a second. He got four minutes in Game 6. Just zeros across his entire stat line. And I think that MDA needs to either, if he's going to play Ben McLemore... Same thing I've said before, get him out there, run a couple sets for him, but otherwise there's zero reason for him to be on the court if he's not going to attempt even a single shot. So give those minutes to Austin Rivers. If that's going to be the game plan, if 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 MDA refuses to actively try and get Ben McLemore shots while he's out there on the court, just give those minutes to Austin Rivers or give more minutes to Daniel House Jr. Because either of those two guys are plus defenders and they're going to help you out more than Ben McLemore if he's not shooting the ball. So that's that. That's part of the rotations issue. And then I also do want to hit on Eric Gordon really quick. Gordon has been really the worst version of himself for much of this series. And just, I'm talking turnovers, I'm talking not being able to shoot the ball, not being aggressive. He's getting, you know, he's great when he's driving to the rim in this series. He's shooting, like, roughly, like, 55% at the rim in this series. That's great. I'll take that. I'll take an Eric Gordon drive every single possession down. The issue, though, and I think he's brought this upon himself a little bit, the reason we're not seeing foul calls for Eric Gordon possibly, right, is he is one of the worst players in the entire NBA about reacting every single time that he drives. I know it's kind of a meme on Rockets Twitter, but legitimately his arms sky up like an a, like a wacky arm-waving inflatable flailing tube man every single time that he drives to the basket. And I hate to break it to him, but it's not a foul every single time he draw, drives to the basket. It's just not. He's taking a little bit of contact here and there. Yeah, and there's definitely some drives where he should get the whistle. But looking for a foul call that aggressively every single time has got to bother the hell out of the officials. 
I'm just watching the games and it bothers me. So I can't imagine what the officials on the actual court think every single time he throws up his arms and, you know, one of those, ah, you know, every single time he drives. It's got to be infuriating. So I think Eric's brought this upon himself just a little bit, but it sucks, especially because his three-point shot has just completely vanished. So, you know, he he's not, he's basically, he's, like I've said before, he's basically Eric Dorton. He is shooting roughly the same percentage as Lou Dort, which is just embarrassing for a former three-point contest shootout champion. That his shot has just disappeared is one of the most frustrating occurrences of this playoff series. Because if Eric Gordon was playing like how he should be playing, if he was playing up to the value of his contract extension, which is about to kick in very next season, then this series would have been over in five games. But no, we've gotten the worst version of Eric Gordon through much of this series, and it has been just abysmal every single time. So I I genuinely think that MDA is going to stick with him, which is, you know, he MDA is loyal to a fault to his players, but Daniel House Jr. should be the closer out there on the court. He gives you the same effort and intensity and, you know, quality of defense that Eric Gordon does, but he's less of a liability offensively. I'm sorry. He just, Eric Gordon has not shown that he can be the guy in this series. And I don't trust having him out there at the end of the game. I just don't. I think that Daniel House Jr. would be a better fit out there in place of Eric Gordon. And like I said in the last podcast, I thought Daniel House Jr. should have been out there in place of Russell Westbrook at the end of that game. But again, MDA loyal to a fault. You know, even when a player is having a really rough game, he's going to stick with them. And so you've got to at least respect that a little bit, even if it's at times detrimental to the team. So I'd like to see Eric Gordon turn it around, but I, I just, I don't see it. If he's played this poorly throughout the series to this point, I hey, I'd love to be wrong. I've said it before, my favorite meal is crow. I love eating crow. I would love to be wrong about Eric Gordon. I'd love for him to go out there and drop 20 plus points and, and ha, you know, hit half of his three-point shots and, you know, live at the free throw line. I'd love to be wrong about all of that. I just don't see it happening. So... That's Eric Gordon, and that kind of leaves us, we'll just circle back, is that brings us to James Harden. Spoke about Russ already, spoke about everybody else a little bit, but that brings us to James Harden. And I was disappointed in, in, in how he played at the end of Game 6. And there was a lot of you know back and forth on social media. Whose fault is it? It's Russ. It's Russ's fault. No, it's Harden's fault. No, it's MDA's fault. You know, I think it's a little bit of everybody's fault how that game fell apart. But this is his moment. This is James Harden's moment. He had a chance in game six. It didn't rise to the occasion. This is his moment. This is his chance to rise to the occasion, to eliminate the thunder, to kind of dispel some of his previous playoff ghosts, his playoff, you know, issues in the past. And if he doesn't rise, if he doesn't come out strong and have a strong game and really close this team out. And here's the thing, right? I don't care what happens over the course of the first 42 minutes of this game. He needs to show up in the final six. And that's and call it unfair of me to say that, but that's how I feel. Because he's great. Through, through, in fact, you look at his numbers from game six. He played a great game. 11 of 22 shooting, 3 of 11 from behind the arc, 7 of 8 at the free throw line, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. Yeah, he had the 5 turnovers. 32 points on really great efficiency. He had a great game. But you know what? It didn't matter 
because he didn't show up at the end when it mattered the most. And again, call it unfair to say that, but he's the star player. He's the franchise guy. It's his team. It's not Russell Westbrook's team. He needs to show up down the line. It's his shot at the end of the game that matters the most. So, yes, Russell Westbrook, former MVP, not a role player, being paid just as much money as James Harden. Guess what? I don't care. It's James Harden's team. It's his shot at the end of the game. So I want to see him be productive. I want to see him have a strong closeout game for the first time this series. I want to see him be effective down the stretch of this game if needed because I have a terrible sinking feeling that this game is going to come down to the wire. I don't think that the Rockets have another blowout in them, and even if they did, what good does that do them? Because then they're going to go up against the Lakers, and if the game comes down to the wire, what then? Because we're going to see more ridiculously poor late-game execution. So I'd rather I'd rather see this game go down to the wire. I'd rather see this game come you know down to the wire, down to the final buzzer if need be, and I want to see James Harden rise to that occasion. I want to see him continue to control the game the way that he does for seemingly the first 42 to 44 minutes of a game. I want to see him have that same grasp on dominating the game of basketball that he can through the early stages of the game. I want to see that out of him. That is my goal. That is my ask for James Harden is to step up to the plate and to win this game for Houston. Because while Russ is capable of doing that, I I don't know if he's capable of doing it in his third game back from injury. And that's where I'm at with Russ is my expectations for him are a little bit less than they normally would be because he is fresh off of injury. He has played very little basketball over the last four months, five months now. You know, he does not have the reps in for me to look at him and say, you know what, he's a former MVP, he should step up too. No, he has been rusty, and no pun intended, no, you know, rusty. Um, He's just, I I don't have the same expectations for him that I do for James Harden. And whatever that means, you know, offensively, if he needs more screens, if they need to be better about trying to get him the ball downhill so he's attacking the rim. If he's gassed going into the fourth quarter, he needs to be up front with Mike D'Antoni about it. If he's getting put back into the game too early at the 9-10 minute mark of the fourth quarter and he needs that extra one or two minutes of rest to really be fresh down the stretch, then he needs to be up front with Mike about it. He needs to say, Mike, I can't go back in. I need to be good for the end of the game. You got to trust the guys that are out there on the court. Got to trust Jeff. Got to trust Austin. Got to trust Daniel House. Got to trust Russ. Because that's what—that's the whole point of having Russell Westbrook is he needs to at least hold down the fort and not cough up the game in the minutes that James Harden is not out there on the court. And that's what's been happening. The Russ-only minutes have been painful for this Rockets team, especially in Game 6. Not as bad in Game 5, but really bad in Game 6. So if Russ can hold down the fort, keep things humming along at least smoothly— while James is on the bench, and get James back in at that 7-8 minute mark of the fourth quarter so that he's not gassed down the stretch, feeling pretty good about this. But hey, look, if anybody can come out on top in a Game 7, it's these guys. This team has too much offensive firepower, they're too talented. Game 7 was not a a, a death spell for this team. Game 7 did not mean that this team is guaranteed out. Okay, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, the first duo in NBA history to average over 25 points per game and seven assists plus per game. Right. They are one of the most talented pairings in NBA history. And even though it's just Russ's third game back from injury, he could very well have a 
vintage Russell Westbrook night, and this could be a blowout W for the Rockets. It's very possible. Eric Gordon could have a return to form. It really can't get much worse than what we've seen out of Eric Gordon. So anything that's slightly better than what we've got out of him in game game six would be a welcome sight. James Harden, capable of going off for 40-plus on any given night. He's been methodically kind of consistent in this series, hadn't had, hasn't had a truly explosive game quite just yet, but he's due for one. We haven't seen one in a while from him. He's due for one of those just monstrous James Harden explosive nights. And I think maybe everything's lining up to where this Game 7 happens and a lot of those things occur, right? The, the, the three-point shooting was not phenomenal, just 34% for the team. And a lot of that was Robert Covington and P.J. Tucker. So maybe looking at things, maybe their three-point shooting suddenly takes off. Maybe the role players step up and have one of their monster nights where they can't miss. There's a lot of things that can play into the Rockets' favor. And I've felt this way for much of the series. But a lot of the struggles in the series have been the Rockets. It's been the Rockets shooting themselves in the foot. And it hasn't necessarily been the Thunder being the better team. The Thunder have executed better down the stretch, but the only reason that the games have been close down the stretch, right, is because the Rockets have shot themselves in the foot, because they've turned the ball over, because they fell in love with a three-point shot, because they fouled too much, because they got in foul trouble and had to sit some of their key players. Whatever you, All through these three losses, you can point to moments where the Rockets shot themselves in the foot directly, sometimes twice in the, you know, at the same time, you know, just one bullet in each foot. And if they don't do that in Game 7, they're going to have a really good shot of winning this series. Their biggest enemy is themselves at times. And I think that looking at looking forward to this game, I, I, I'm going to be nerve-wracked, as are you, I'm sure. But this game is, is going to be one for the record books. It's going to define a lot of things. It's going to change the traje- trajectory of this organization depending on the outcome. But I'm feeling a win. I'm feeling a Rockets win. I think that... Things are trending that way. I think that they've got guys that are ready to step up to the plate. I think that there's going to be a lot of things that line up for the Rockets in this game that make sense. And I'm feeling a win. I'm feeling confident about it. And I think that we're going to be back here Thursday to discuss a Rockets Game 7 win. So with that, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.